0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, August sixteenth, twenty twenty one. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Hi, Noah. Uh, we're having. Uh, we're, we keep having some technical. Uh, problems, uh, which I guess uh, are uh, suitable uh, and appropriate given the um, horrors that have uh, overtaken us um, over the weekend. We knew they were coming. We didn't know they were coming this fast. Uh, I wrote a post for the website at commentary.org in which I said that I believe that as a result of the fall of Kabul yesterday and the takeover of, of the of Afghanistan by the Taliban, that the uh, United States' foreign policy was in the worst state of disrepair since the fall of Saigon in 1975. Um, I wrote this, and then I thought, oh, well, this is hyperbolic. I probably shouldn't be saying this. It's... Way too extreme. And then I thought and I thought and I thought I could think and I could think of only two uh, incidents in uh, or moments in our foreign policy or periods in our foreign policy since in the last 46 years that are that rival this moment. One was um, the uh, outbreak of essentially the civil war in Iraq in 2005, 2006, uh, which was... um, a period of, you know, disaster uh, for us and for Iraq and for the mission in Iraq and all that. And the other was the uh, failure to find the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq the previous year, um, both of which (laughs) threw us into a, uh, you know, into a very, very alarming uh, condition. This is different, what's happened here, because it was a deliberate conscious choice that was made to pull out of Afghanistan when there was no pent-up American demand that we do so. The cost of the mission was low. The clear results of the mission were very, very dramatically high, given that, as I say in the piece, all Biden needed to do was nothing. The status quo would have continued, you know, the Taliban would not have taken over city after city, region after region, and then taken Kabul in 36 days uh, following Joe Biden saying that there would be no moment like Saigon uh, in 1975 and three months after he announced the pullout. Uh, so it was basically 90 days from Biden saying, OK, I guess we're going to pull out here in April to uh, to where we are today. Does anybody have any can you think of something comparable? I, I mean, I'm I, I'm genuinely grasping at at you know.
1: Well, in terms of um uh our, our, the you know making the the world sort of doubt um our our competency and um uh, I mean maybe uh the attempt to get the U uh, S hostages in Iran. Right. Okay. I mean, just in, ter- in terms of right. sort of failure. Well, at, I guess yeah, Iran.
0: Okay, you know what? I, I think that the Iranian hostage crisis altogether represented a uh, you know a period of,
2: of 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 crisis and and destabilization. So, but even Desert One was at least an attempt to realize our, our responsibilities and see to them. Right. So but, in that sense, there is no there's nothing to compare it to here. Uh, even even Saigon, even the fall of Vietnam is a terrible analogy because it was Congress that cut off funding, and it was the you know it was the the Ford administration was begging for the ability to support our allies in in South Vietnam. And here the the Biden administration simply just cut off the Afghans and and said, you know, we don't even know if we're going to execute over the horizon strikes. Even if we had the capability to do so, we wouldn't really do so. And then just backtracked summarily in August when it was too late. Um, And the Wall Street Journal has a very good report. And Abe, you actually mentioned this in our text, and I think you should go into it. um, The Wall Street Journal demonstrated why cutting off of that support Um, air support in particular, um, devastated the Afghan military's ability to execute uh, defensive operations because their whole operational plan was predicated on the assumption that the United States would provide air support. And absent that, they couldn't execute any operations whatsoever. And Abe had mentioned in our text thread that there's sort of this retroactive effort in the minds of people who executed this absolute debacle to try to justify collapse um, by citing the collapse the collapse is, you know, it's, it's a justification for our own bug out because and even Joe Biden has said this because we couldn't possibly, you know, defend the country that can't defend itself. As the, and, and he said this in a statement on Saturday, which is really obnoxious, saying that, listen, it's you know, it, it wouldn't make a difference if you're there for another year, another five years. But that clairvoyance is utterly unwarranted, as all clairvoyance is, in part because the Afghan conflict doesn't even remotely resemble the status quo of 2016, much less the status quo of 2019 or 2020. It's a very different theater than it was before. And who's to say what it would look like or would have looked like in five years' time? Well, we can say what it would have looked like today versus four months
0: ago because there is what it looks like today and there is what it looked like four months ago. (laughs) I mean, uh, aside from the fact that the Taliban went into their fighting season, um, so obviously they were going to be more challenging, simple fact of the matter is that we had a status quo that we had achieved. We did not have a single... Civilian uh, uh, military fatality in Afghanistan uh, in the last 17 months. This was a low cost, high value mission. And we know this by the results that we have now seen. So the clairvoyance is preposterous. And let me just throw out another preposterous fact. We have been in Europe for 75 years, we have been in Korea. For 70 years or, you know, uh, uh, 68 years or something since the end of hostilities there, does anybody outside of extreme isolationists, does anybody think that the fact that we have people stationed in Korea and in Europe – and and in Okinawa, I mean, if I don't even remember if we still have people in Okinawa, I mean that that's bad. Yes, we have a Marine base, large Marine we base. Mar- in Okinawa. We still have a Marine base in Okinawa. So that's eighty years that we've been in Japan. Seventy, you know, se- excuse me, seventy-five years we've been in Japan and in Europe, and 70, 68 years we've been in Korea. And we had three thousand people in Afghanistan. Guess how many people we have in Afghanistan today? Seven thousand. Why do we have 7,000? Because there could be a massacre of Americans in Afghanistan. We have the State Department of the United States informing Americans, as Kabul fell, that they should shelter in place and then refile their paperwork. Refile their paperwork. How— what the hell does that mean? And, what and paperwork? The, How are they refiling their paperwork when they're going to be hunted on the streets by the Taliban? Have I have I am I, am I taking crazy pills here?
3: Well, and the systems we have had in place to help uh, setting aside our own citizens who are there, the image that we're projecting to the people in Afghanistan who we have been telling for twenty years we're there to protect and support and encourage a, a fledgling democracy, they saw their only airport shut down protected by American military to get American citizens and ambassador and et cetera out. And they were kept out of there. I mean, they, we, we've taken over the airport to get our people out and we've left them to perish. And for the people who has who have been helping us for 20 years, I mean, imagine if you're a teenager in Afghanistan, particularly if you're female, you've woken up every day of your life being able to go to school, being able to get a job, learning how to read, knowing you will not be sold off as a child bride at the age of 13 or 14. You wake up, you woke up this weekend and that all ended. Literally, these girls can no longer, they were turned away from their colleges and schools, they were turned away from their jobs immediately. And the idea that the Afghan people, having that happen to them after all the promises we made and then watching as we try to get as many Americans out as possible while they are literally prevented from going and boarding flights to other places, And the people who helped us, the website that was processing their visa applications crashed over and over again. It is a debacle. It's a human rights nightmare. And the shame is on the Biden administration from start to finish for this aspect of it. And and that aspect
1: of it um, makes things worse than they were had we never gone in at all. Right. Because uh, it is it is. the then status quo with, with with the Taliban with its you know repulsive rule in the country now with the added um, problem of the American betrayal of, of, of the Afghan people and uh, they're they're being uh, uh, put in that situation once again some of some of whom you know if if they were if they were born there within the last twenty years they never even knew uh, a, a Taliban rule and, and and now they will. Part of the sickening dishonesty of the discussion around this that I've noticed this weekend that's driving me crazy is this idea of people who are being critical of what's happening, but don't want to seem hyperbolic or don't want. And and there, there there's this line that's getting me. Um, well, we all knew that th- this wasn't sustainable, that, that we couldn't keep uh, our presence there, our military presence there. Uh, we knew this had to end. Um, but but this is this is not uh, the way to do it. Why wasn't this sustainable? This was completely sustainable. It was unbelievably effective. We we were doing something that only the U.S. I said this on Twitter that only the U.S. could do, which was uh, keep the monsters at bay. Uh, and 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 it, it's it's a that's a pretty terrific use of the American military. And we we had been doing it as John says at at relatively low cost. There hasn't been any, there haven't been any combat, US combat deaths in over a year in Afghanistan. Um, Yeah, it's a a, a trillion dollars were spent over 20 years. We now spend, uh, uh, you know, uh, we talk about spending $3 trillion uh, over the course of a weekend, or, uh, you know, at least okaying it. Um, Yes, this was sustainable.
0: What's coming won't be sustainable, that's for sure. Right, and we should talk about what's coming, because let's, let's pull back from the I don't even want to talk about what's coming in Afghanistan because we'll see what's coming. We, you know, nothing good is coming at a, at a minimum, and something ghastly, horrible, dystopian, nightmarish could be coming faster than we even imagine. But let's pull back and look at the region. Okay, um, the most dramatic thing you got to ask yourself if we have a president who has now. Revealed to the world uh, that he is perfectly happy to allow a country under the sort of American ambit to fall um, for whatever reason. Um, what about Taiwan? What about China's ambitions toward Taiwan? China's a cautious country. It's cautious. It's not, you know, it's deliberate, it has a long term, deliberate strategy. But things change, circumstances alter. Is Joe Biden, who could not stomach uh, keeping three thousand guys in Afghanistan, also because he wanted to look like a peacemaker? What is he going to do if the Chinese start moving on Taiwan? Look, this was always this has been, always long been um, a question about Taiwan's safety and you know position vis-a-vis the mainland uh, for any president. Like, how much are we willing to commit to make sure that Taiwan doesn't fall under the under the uh, Beijing jackboot? But now, if you're China and you're doing a cost benefit analysis, and you think, well, I've got maybe I got three years with this guy, why wouldn't you move if yeah, you I-
2: really want to? So I'm actually writing this piece up for the website right now, and it's not hardly, I wouldn't describe China anymore as a particularly cautious country. They demonstrated their willingness to court international condemnation and abrogate treaties with the West by subduing Hong Kong very aggressively. Um, we've already had testimony before Congress to the effect of a, a Chinese military officials are talking about the prospect of retaking the island by force, and they anticipate the operation could materialize in this decade. Um, And it's not just the Pacific that we have to worry about, where our assets are a sufficient deterrence, it's just our willingness to use them, but also Europe. Something that really has kept American war planners up at night is the prospect of a Russian-led military provocation in the Baltic states. Test NATO's commitment to Article 5 over Estonia. Um, That's the sort of thing that they flirted with in 2007 with the cyber attack on Estonia 2014 with this very sophisticated cross-border raid that took a a, a police officer, held him hostage, put him on trial. And it's the sort of thing that that didn't arise to the level of an international provocation. But obviously, Russia is very willing to retake territory in Europe by force. It has demonstrated its willingness to do so. Something of a provocation that tests Article 5 is perfectly easy to envision. And America's allies are in Europe in particular are already very frustrated. On record, according to this piece in the Washington Post by Liz Sly, um, with American fecklessness and our capacity to abandon allies without even perceptible duress. It's just caprice. So why would you predicate your long-term security assumptions on American resolve? It's not there. Right. Well, you, you can't. And then, of course, there is the possibility
0: that you will have multiple simultaneous tests. Of America's failure of resolve. Uh, That's what we can't control. We can't control how we appear inside the capitals of countries hostile to our international position and how they read this. Now, they could read it by saying, you know, we've made mistakes before about testing American resolve even after American fecklessness and have lived to rue the day. Maybe we better wait and make sure that Biden isn't the doddering old fool that he looks like right now, or they can say, strike while the iron is hot. And you know what? If China moves on Taiwan, maybe we move on the Baltics at the same time, like create a two-front circumstance in which there are – this is what Richard Nixon faced, by the way, in the late 60s when we got bogged down in Vietnam. If you read Henry Kissinger's first volume of White House years, you cannot believe the number of provocations, threats, and international crises that they faced in the White House as they came into office. Cross-border war between China and the Soviet Union, war between India and Pakistan, war between El Salvador and um, Honduras, Uh, uh, embassies being sacked, Uh, you know, I mean, terrorism going on in Europe, uh all kinds of things. That, that was like every hour on the hour, there was something going on because America was viewed and perceived to have been bogged down in Vietnam and, and in a condition of torment and decay and decline. And that is what we're facing here. But but also,
2: you know, in, insofar as there was a, a strategy over the last 20, 72 hours or so from this White House, it seemed to me that the only objective they sought to secure was to avoid Americans seeing this they didn't want them to see a re uh, a recapitulation a re, another uh, uh, Saigon uh, you know evacuation from the embassy they didn't want to see people you know throwing children over the gates in order to save their lives they didn't want to see mass you know mass evacuations and people going to the borders and trying to get out as fast as they could they didn't want Americans to see that but they didn't do that the images are everywhere we have images of these of the tarmac at the at the airport uh, you know, of human tide overwhelming these planes. We have images of people clinging to the side of airplanes as they take off, fl- falling from 3,000 feet. American Air Force. Yeah. American Air, American Force, Air Force planes falling jets, from 3,000 yes. feet to their deaths as they try to get out of this country. Those are images that Americans will see and Americans Either. won't be able to stomach. These I don't are think worse. this is something they'll accept as just ah well it was and, we were there for a long time it's really and, not fair. And I just want to add to that because I'm I'm actually I was talking
3: to my kids about this this morning and trying to describe for them what it must be like for the, the we actually had an old friend who who who's back in Afghanistan who went to kindergarten with one of my sons that were good friends we were talking about what his life is now going to look like he's been raised you know with free with some measure of freedom and now how that changes and I became so enraged actually like you need to calm down mom but the idea that that the kinds of milquetoast pandering, ridiculously, you know, obnoxious statement of Nancy Pelosi on this matter over the weekend—that actually enraged me more than anything. She had that she had the a- unmitigated gall to claim. Oh, we're concerned about reports regarding the Taliban's brutal treatment of Afghans, especially women and girls. We have to protect them from inhumane treatment and strive to assist them, recognize their voices are important and respect their culture. It's the kind of ridiculous sort of you know thing you say at, a, at an Aspen Ideas Festival. It, is, it has no place in the continuing deteriorating situation in that country. And I find that appalling, just absolutely appalling. Okay, in, now I got it off my chest. I'm in sorry. The
1: same, <laughs> in the same thread, she made some appeal to the
0: Afghan government. What Afghan government? It was it's, The it's, Afghan government is now, we've seen the picture. Yeah. The Afghan government is those six guys sitting at the desk in the palace in Kabul. That's the Afghan government. The Taliban are the Afghan government.
2: But, but that's who she's talking to. Right. That's who the administration is talking to. The administration right. is reportedly referring to the Afghan government as the successor government. Which is a Taliban-run entity? They've been beseeching them, begging them for assurances on our embassy, which we summarily abandoned. They've been begging them, offering them financial assistance to let us evacuate, please, so we don't have you know violence on our hands. Begging the Taliban—that's who we're dealing okay. with, and they're but dealing what, with them quite directly.
0: Okay, we have the, the other images that we don't want to see, and then we—I I mentioned this, and we have to do a spot. But um, is uh, um, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary? Uh, who has left a? I'm sorry, I'm on vacation. Response on her email. Uh, Biden and is Biden's sitting, called the lid today too. Yeah, no press. Biden's sitting in hiding in the Kacocton Mountains, uh, where where Camp David is. Sitting in a sit room all by himself. Uh, with that insane release of that picture of him sitting alone in a room at Camp David on a on a video conference
2: revealing the Doha station (laughs) station.
0: What a great idea to release that picture. He's sitting alone in the middle of a gigantic foreign policy crisis. What is the matter? Does he have COVID? I mean, does he have a breakthrough case? Can no one else be with him uh, at Camp David? like all they got to do is drive up it takes an hour and 20 minutes to come up from Washington but no tony blinken had to go on jake tapper and, and abc this week and humiliate himself by claiming that we had succeeded in afghanistan okay i want to talk to you guys about uh uh dan Senor's post corona podcast uh one of my favorites uh, as you as you as you know if you've been listening uh dan started the podcast to try to cope with the question of how uh, we are going to constitute our society and our lives and our economy in uh, in the wake of the uh, pandemic and um there are two shows up now you really should listen to one uh which was recorded a week 10 days ago with muhammad al-aryan the uh president of um queen's college at cambridge and in uh former head of uh, number two at pimco Former head of the World Bank or for ma- major figure in international finance for 30 years. And um, it is a clarion call about the threat of inflation. And we keep getting more and more details every day to suggest that this clarion call that he makes here um, uh, is, is correct and maybe understated. Uh, that's the other, you know, like hidden disaster bef- facing the Biden presidency is the fecklessness with which he has addressed. Uh, the inflationary spiral that has that has gripped us. The second, interestingly, given what we've been talking about, is with Matthew Pottinger, former deputy national security advisor uh, under Trump. Um, and their conversation is about China, the threats from China, China's uh, willingness, as, as Noah says, sort of test or abrogate, you know, sort of the uh, sort of international standards, international practices um, in business and in and in foreign policy. Ah, uh, these are fantastic conversations. Go to uh, Apple Podcasts, go to Google Play, go to Stitcher, go to wherever, and subscribe to Dan Senor's Post Corona for these really remarkable conversations. Um, I want to read a couple. Oh, Abe, go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to pick up
1: um, on the, the something that
0: uh, Noah you said about
1: uh, the the effort to get Americans not to see what's going on, and John, t- and talking about that, the image that was released of Biden. Uh, at Camp David, um, there's a whole dimension to this uh, disaster that's that's we haven't even touched on, which is it's just it's secondary, but it's it's under normal circumstances would be you know a huge deal, um, and that's domestic. Part of the huge uh, upheaval that we're seeing in this country and why things seem so crazy and depressing and and um, everything is ungovernable and there's no agreement upon anything is um, this complete doubt that leaders and people making decisions on top have any idea what they're doing. Um, This was, this was in place long before this disaster unfolded. It was, it's something that's been going on throughout the, the, uh, the pandemic and the elections and, you know, all all sorts of um, uh, uh, botched, uh, 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 all the, all the botched election uh, situations. and, And this, this, this this doubt about institutions and leaders and, and just this crisis of um, faith and uh, belief in American institutions and expert class. And and this solidifies it, you know, I mean, when, when we see, you know, a clip, these, these clips keep coming out, you know, of of Biden saying that there would be nothing like Saigon happening, that if the Taliban were to take over, it wouldn't be anytime soon, uh, or maybe there's, it's, It's extremely unlikely that it would happen, you know, at all in the foreseeable future. Um, This is an example of of, this gives everyone in the country reason to say they have no idea what they're doing.
2: Absolutely. And we've been living with that for quite some time. So, you know, I don't anticipate that absolute incompetence will come as much of a shock to the system. What could come as a shock is the absolute contemptuous blustrous chest thumping defense of ineptitude that we're seeing from some uh, political quarters where just like you said as you said earlier even you should expound on it the notion that this collapse is happening justifies our, our withdrawal in the minds of, of these people who think that's a clever argument and joe biden's absolutely contemptuous lack of urgency for addressing this crisis whatsoever he remains committed to being on vacation until tomorrow or wednesday something along those lines where he'll find a dean to address the public on this absolute abject national humiliation when he gets around to it. It is shockingly derelict to the point where they should just call a lid on this administration for the duration. Okay, well, you remember... Also, you, oh, sorry. One, Go ahead. One
3: quick thing about the Biden's temperament, because I think, you know, we, we've said many times on the podcast, part of why he was elected is that um, among all the Democratic options, he was the kind of even keel, I'm going to bring us, you know, build back better, back to normal, adults are in charge, et cetera, et cetera. What we've seen with... And this has always been a problem with his foreign policy uh, expertise or lack thereof, as we've talked about many times, Mr... Divide the country into three parts. He has shown a very Trumpian response to criticism of this policy. Right. He over, according to reports, he overruled his military folks. He overruled his civilian folks. He basically said, it's my way or the highway. And when he when pushback began, he immediately became defensive. Um, and he, in fact, showed his the, the same kind of foreign policy sensibility, the belligerent stubbornness that we've seen when he was a senator. It's now, uh, now at the level of the president. So I think that also, even the media that's been very sympathetic to him up till now is starting to notice and, and noticing the lids being called and the, and the sort of hubris, as Noah uh, is, is uh, describing very well. And that is a shift as well. And I think it does speak to Abe's point, that's going to further undermine people's Faith in like, wait, we we got rid of Trump and we elected this guy and now he's behaving in this kind of defensive uh way.
0: Well, I see I would put it, I would, I would take it to a to a to a different degree in the in the comparisons with Trump. Like one of the jokes about Trump, right, is um he was like Donnie from Queens. He was a caller into a talk show. You know, one of those guys who calls in and says you know, uh, the Mets manager isn't a hell what he's doing. You know, he should trade that guy, do this and do that. And then they'll, you know, take that. I can't believe that he put that pitcher in. They All they do is everything terrible. And then God appears from on high and says, okay, buddy, guess what? You're now the manager of the Mets. Good luck to you. It's like the plot of Bruce Almighty or, uh, you know, it's like, okay, all I hear from you is complaints. You get to be God for a week. Let's see how you like it. And that's what happened with Trump. And some people liked it and a lot of people hated it. And a lot of it was the kind of chaos that's created by somebody who spends 20 years loud mouthing his way through life and then gets the keys to the, you know, gets the keys to the car. Biden is no different, even though he was vice president of the United States, even though he was a senator, even though he's been 50 years in public life he's been sitting at tables around saying, I think we should divide Iraq into three. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Da, da 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 And then he becomes president and he gets the keys to the car. And he says, I'm pulling out of Afghanistan. And the generals say, ah, it's not really, you know what, it's only 3,000 guys. Things aren't so bad. Like, let's stay. No, no, I'm going to pull out. Like, Tony Blinken, I think, said, I don't know if this is the, no, no, I'm going to pull out. I'm going to have, and so, and then it's like, Okay fella. You're the president. Buck stops with you. Here we go. Let's see what happens. We're going to announce we're doing it. It's April. We're going to announce we're doing it. Announces it in April. By July, it's clear that the talent that the government is going to fall. Right, That's the whole point of that press conference that he gave on July 7th or July 8th where he said, this is not going to be Saigon. My people tell me it's not going to be Saigon, all of that. The reason that he was answering the question is that people were asking it because the Taliban was on the march and because we were not providing air support and because there was no... Counterforce against it, and because logic dictated that once we said we were leaving, no Afghan soldier worth his salt was going to be, as John Kerry might have put it, the last man to die for a mistake. Why were they going to put their lives on the line when the conclusion was foregone that the that the thing for which they were fighting was a was a not only a lost cause but a lost it wasn't even a mission by that point. It was just sort of a lost organizational structure that they were trying to prop up. And so there's Biden, and it happened with staggering speed in exactly the way that you would expect when a loudmouth, know-nothing, who people who people have been rolling their eyes at for 40 years, gets the keys to the car. And I think the whole point about Trump is that he was chaotic and a chaos agent and a sower of sort of mischief, Loki-like figure. But in the end, he turned out to be more cautious than we really anticipated. The best example of this being Syria, right? He announces we're going to pull out of Syria. Jim Mattis, Secretary of Defense says, that's it. I've had it. Can't deal with this lunatic anymore. You know, he's throwing away blood and treasure for nothing, quits and then Trump doesn't pull out of Syria in the end because he really just wanted to be president and watch himself on TV. He didn't want to be the father of a collapse in Syria because he wasn't a serious he wasn't willing to sort of you know sort of deal with the ramifications of making that hard and fast choice. Um and so, you know, in some odd ways he ended up being a more cautious person as a president when push came to shove than it appears biden is ever going to be when push comes to shove biden does reckless things he's done this reckless thing in afghanistan he's done this reckless thing supporting um eviction moratoria and 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 you know three and a half trillion dollar budget deals at a time of rising inflation and, you know, uh, allowing the CDC to do mask mandates on the basis of, in you know, in inaccurate in information and whatever. He's kind of like the opposite of Trump in that sense. He is being pushed to fecklessness, whereas Trump, who was feckless, would be pulled back from his fecklessness by the idea of like, you know, you could have a lot more hard choices after. If you do this, the choices could get really hard later. So maybe you should like pull back. And go back and go back into your room and watch your three televisions and watch them talk about you. I mean, I, I think that's the oddity that Biden, he's only been president for seven and a half months, like, it's not even eight months yet, like, he can change gears, but he is 78 years old, and he's clearly a fool. I mean, what happened here is is—is definitive proof that when you're said, you know what, there's a we, we're the cork in Afghanistan. Pull the cork, and the dam is gonna, you know, the dam is gonna crack, and the flood is gonna come. And he's like, nah, well, we, years. I want to pull out a nine eleven. Let's pull out a nine eleven. Okay, I'm glad you brought up nine eleven. Can we yeah. talk about the fact that we've already Please. had to
3: raise the terrorist threat? Because gee no kidding there's a there's a i could say no shit sherlock but i know we're not we try not to curse but really like suddenly the 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 military that our 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 anti-terrorist folks are like yeah so now al qaeda is going to be moving much more quickly because of what's happening no kidding that's exactly what everyone again predicted would happen so now it's not you know in the in the near term in the short term he can say to the american public I got us out, it was messy, it was terrible, that's Trump's fault because he rushed the timeline. He can blame Trump as he's been doing. People will listen in the near term. In the long term, if the American people feel, again, a terrorist threat is is imminent or likely on domestic soil, that's gonna change how they go back and look at what
2: he did and how he did it. And this, I think that's a really resonant point because um, Joe Biden initially hoped for some sort of, poetic moment, right, with the the removal of American troops on the twentieth anniversary of September eleventh that would have gone full circle. And he did get something very similar in the form of Afghans falling from thousands of feet. We we're watching bodies tumble again twenty years later.
0: That is it, a, as a result that of our a,
2: that look, do Americans a accept tragically
0: that tragically gruesome and it's horrific.
2: parallel. Do Americans love the this? Do Americans man. accept it? Are Amer- is the American people that I know that you know going to look at these images and say, well, it was just too long. It's really unfair. That's not the American public that I'm familiar with. And if it is, we should just turn the lights off. Right. Well, you know what? Um, This is so
0: distressing that I hope you're sitting in a comfortable chair. And if you're not sitting in a comfortable chair, it's time to get yourself an X chair so that you can watch the collapse of America in comfort in your home at your workstation. uh, Rather rather than in distress, Uh, because that newest innovation, LMX temperature regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your low back. If you're feeling a bit warm this summer, you can set your LMX to cooling. If the air conditioning is too high, set LMX to heating, and you can warm up and soothe tired muscles. Turn on LMX massage therapy and relax. That patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best-in-class. Now, with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. X-chair LMAX delivers cooling heat and massage technology directly to your core, regulating body temp, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair. Commentary.com or call one 844 4 x to save $100 off your order. x has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free X XWheel Bladecasters. Xchaircommentary.com so i think there is also an effort being made that is that is justifiable to some extent although kind of beside the point to say look biden inherited uh this a horrible situation from trump mike pompeo and zal calozad uh negotiated this this deal with the taliban where we were going to pull out uh you know in april anyway And and so uh, and the Taliban promised to do power sharing and this and that and the other thing. And they were even, if you remember, going to have the Taliban at Camp David, where where Joe Biden is now sitting alone playing his Xbox. Um, And so the Taliban that somehow, you know, didn't didn't end up happening. Um, This is a very fair point. It was a terrible deal. Biden inherited a terrible deal. He inherited a lot of terrible stuff from Trump or things he thought were terrible that he then immediately abrogated. That's what happens when you change presidents. Like you, this deal with the Taliban was no deal. The Taliban weren't weren't abiding by it. Number one, and number two, uh, he has no compunction about either renegotiating deals or 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 doing whatever he needs to do to do what it, whatever he wants to do. So this this dog is not going to hunt. I it mean, is... I think. Oh, go ahead, Abe. Well, it's all
1: it's it's um an exact repeat of what uh, the obama administration claimed when they when we pulled out of uh iraq uh obama said that his hands were tied by the bad status of forces agreement that the bush administration had negotiated in iraq He couldn't renegotiate it we had to get out well that spin didn't prevent isis from forming and uh overtaking the region and this spin isn't going to isn't going to stop whatever horrors are coming down the pike in afghanistan
0: Right. Okay, but I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the repulsive rhetoric that is coming from the Trumpian right. Um, and, and this is part of what uh, Noah has been prompting Abe to talk about, and so I'm just going to launch it here. It, this <laughs> idea, This idea that the mission from the get-go was a utopian, quixotic effort to to impose democracy in a place where we didn't want to impose democracy and, uh, you know, neocons and the late John McCain, whoever are all going to go to hell and suffer for a thousand years for the loss of blood and treasure in Afghanistan and all that. Uh, you're hearing this all over the place. You are hearing it from, from former contributors to commentary, friends of ours. It's kind of like the cheap and easy way to say we should never have gone in there, in the first place? Well, first of all, as Noah said in our our text chain, there were maybe 14 people in the United States um, who didn't want to go into Afghanistan after September 11th. I think the vote in the Congress was 99 to nothing in the Senate and 420 to one in the House, something like that about sort of authorizing uh, military action to to fight the war on terror. Uh, That's number one. Number two, um, this is preposterous because we didn't go into Afghanistan for the purpose of quixotically creating a democracy. What happened was we went in, we knocked off the Taliban, and we were there. And then the question is, what do you do now? How do you help? How do you, you know, we, we went in. They had a they had a horrible, monstrous form of government. Then they had nothing. What do you do now? All things being equal, wouldn't you try to set up and help try to set, set them up with some kind of representative system of government and guess what we did and guess what it was corrupt and bumbling and it didn't work well and there was a lot of corruption and there was and all of that and for 20 years afghanistan was in a wildly better place than it was in the in the in the six or seven years before it and you know women were educated uh people went back to school uh Religious sites were, you know, people weren't being tortured for their religion or being killed for being gay or whatever you want to call it. And this notion that we it was all a failure. I mean, this is honestly the repugnant place that people want to go to simply to kind of score weird points against george w bush and against obama what well, i don't even know who and they're are, scoring points
2: against and that's no, just nationalistic populist claptrap and there are plenty of people who nationalistic are nationalistic
0: nationalism would have you say that what we did there was a good thing and not a bad what? thing you're right because I'm being,
2: I'm being far too charitable because the avatar that they're they're leaning into right now is pat buchanan um who has echoed sentiments that you will find in every history book about the ill disposition culturally of the Afghans to just democratic institutions, they're just we're just a little bit better. I'm going to leave it at that. And yet somehow, you know, the literature is replete with this. Somehow Germany overcame its historical attachment to Prussian militarism. Japan somehow managed to overcome its its feudal its feudal you know uh, historic attachments. And it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 belief in the monarchy. Yeah. And in the, in the, in the empire, South Korea somehow managed to evolve beyond its, uh, its agrarian state to become a functional democracy and a technocratic, uh, you know, marvel. And all this stuff sort of happened despite this really ugly tendency, and it's mostly on the right, this ugly tendency to ascribe to particular ethnic groups, a lack of a cap- capacity to develop democratic institutions. Um, and I, I don't think you can see that as anything other than chauvinism.
0: Aside from being chauvinistic, which I, I, I agree with you about, it's, it's inaccurate as a portrait of, you, you have to ask yourself, and this is, Abe said, we kept the monsters at bay. So, number one, the question is was that trillion dollars worth keeping the monsters at bay in two places, there and here? Two places. We went in there to keep the monsters at bay from coming here. Guess what? There has not been a major terrorist assault on American soil in 20 years. So that worked. Sorry. I, I'm not going to listen to this nonsense. That worked. Well, by the way, the- while there were yeah. while there were
1: attacks on major cities in, uh, elsewhere.
0: Yeah. In Madrid, yeah. in London. Um, I mean, those are the two that I can think of right off the top of my head, right? Uh, both train attacks. Hundreds of people killed on 7707 in London, right? Uh, uh, Ricin in the – whatever. Anyway, um, so we kept them at bay here, and we kept them at bay there. Um, That's a noble thing we did. And when I read that what we did in Afghanistan was imperialism, it drives me insane because it wasn't imperialistic. I don't – imperialists go to places, strip-mine them of their resources – profit from being there profit from it that's why you go there as an economic investment and to get resources and things that you can't have at home that's what imperialism was for we went there and we gave them stuff and maybe we did it in a bad way maybe we didn't handle it in the in the right way maybe we didn't do things in the best way but i mean again it's like the old jewish joke how's your wife compared to what Compared to what What condition would Afghanistan have been had we not gone in there? What condition would we be in? How many terrorist attacks would we have been facing as a result of, of a failure to respond to 9-11? In any case, we were going to respond to 9-11, and we did respond to 9-11, and the horror that faces us now is that we're going to have to respond to another 9-11 as a result of this. We may. and then And then everything that happened, it's going to be the great return, because we are not that country. We are not Pat Buchanan's country, and we are not the country of Molly Hemingway. We are not the country that doesn't defend itself against assaults and try to do good at the same time. And again, maybe we're blundering, and maybe we do it sloppily, and maybe we should be ashamed of ourselves at how how feckless we are when we do things. But, you know, uh, history does not end here, The problem is that we have summoned a whirlwind upon ourselves and we're not, we don't know what the consequences of that whirlwind are going to be. And the economic consequences of Biden policies are the subject of David Bonson's two newsletters that I want to talk to you about right now from the Bonson Group, that $3 billion uh, under management, financial management and services company, uh, Bicoastal, and David produces two newsletters. You've heard me talk about it. You heard me talk about them. The DCToday.com daily and DividendCafe.com weekly. I just want to give you a taste of the DC today uh, from last week. So you get the rundown on market action, where futures opened, where the market closed, uh, what was going on on S&P earnings. You get top news stories. You get public policy, David's quick summary of what is in the reconciliation bill and where he thinks it's going you get jobless claims news, you get COVID news, you get news on the Fed, you get news on oil and energy, all in about 1,500 well-chosen, incredibly interesting words. That's DCToday.com. You can sign up for that by going to DividendCafe.com, and you can get his weekly macroeconomic analysis from the Bonson Group, the antidote to the intellectual spaghetti of the financial management and services industry. Um, Let me read some stuff to you guys and have you respond to it, okay? so uh let me find this i'm sorry i should have been i should be in better in better order here um a top u.s government official uh told mike allen yesterday of axios gave a gave me a window into biden's thinking which boils down to these three points one any other alternative would have been worse two the collapse proves that if the u.s state it would have been americans in a shooting war with the taliban with an unknown number of casualties and no end in sight. Three, American support bringing troops home. If people think our August withdrawal is too fast, what would a May withdrawal have looked like? The official said, referring to President Trump's deadline of May 1st, and if people think we should stay, whose kids are they sending to fight the Taliban when the Afghan army won't? So I don't know who this government official is. Mike Allen has superb sources, so you can figure it's a very senior one. Um... Uh, And uh, he is giving you a window into the Biden administration's thinking. And if this is something that Biden reflects in words that he says, like, who's going to send an American boy to die when the Afghan army rolled up or something like that? I, I, I please somebody respond. I mean it's just i don't it, it it's completely reminiscent of the arguments that that
1: people were making a, around you nine know, eleven once once we once we responded at all and 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 uh to the war in iraq i mean the fact is the i don't know i don't know the, any other point to make other than that the the, the u s has volunteer army and 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 people enlist because they believe in it and they repeat there are there are people in the armed forces who uh, agree with every word we're saying, and there are people in the armed forces who disagree with every word we're saying. There are parents of soldiers who agree with us. There are parents of soldiers who disagree. With us. That that the the it's a sort of a, it's an identity argument uh, at the end of the day, which doesn't have any bearing on whether or not it's a good idea to pull out or to stay there.
3: But okay, but and it, the other oh, yeah, go ahead. I, it just speaks a little, Abe's point is well taken because it speaks to what Noah was saying earlier about the the what what Americans actually feel versus what our elite political elite is telling us we should do, which are two different things. And I will say, look, post 9-11, there were a lot of young Americans who probably never in a million years thought about enlisting in the military to serve their country who did. They went They volunteered, they fought, and they fought again and again. Many of them did multiple tours. Members of my family did multiple tours. It is not a joke to say that even though the details of policy might not have been something that they absolutely agreed with, the idea of America and the idea of what America can do for the world is something they believed in. And that is what I see fracturing right now, both from pressure from the left and the right. And that's really dangerous because... The, our allies, the rest of the world is watching us. It's not just watching what we're doing specifically right now in Afghanistan. It's watching how the American people react to that, how we accept or don't accept it, how our, our president does or does not even feel bothered, as Noah said, to come out of hiding and give a statement. Obama's previous press secretary is even urging Biden to speak. I mean, it's, so I do think that this broader idea is not something that we should take lightly at all if it starts to fracture, because if we have another uh, episode on on our own soil that requires defense and requires people to believe in that idea and be willing to sacrifice their lives for it, we're in very bad shape if that idea is gone.
0: Right. Well, it's not just that, by the way. So we're talking about who wants an American to die when the Afghans won't stand up for it. Something like 200,000 Americans have served in Iraq, excuse me, in Afghanistan since 2001. 200,000 people. They did their country you know, they, they heroically went to defend their country, its interest and to do good in Afghanistan. What about them? What about their sacrifice? What about what they did? What about how they, how they put themselves on the line for their country? What about, what about throwing away their achievement that it was unnecessary to throw away? Because as I say in that blog post that I talked about, all Biden needed to do was nothing. He affirmatively made a choice that has made a hash and a travesty of the sacrifices of hundreds of thousands of Americans who did good over the last 20 years, who did noble things for this country and for Afghanistan. And what about them? What thought is being given to them and how they feel today? I mean, I noticed Jason Kander, who, uh, a combat veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan, who ran for a Democratic uh, governor of, um senator, governor, whatever, of Missouri, saying, uh, and he's a guy who's grappled with depression and stuff, saying, I'm feeling pretty lousy today. I feel really bad today. If anybody is feeling bad, please reach out to me. I said this on Twitter. Because I, I understand how you're feeling. this is like taking people's lives and throwing them in the garbage can, people's sacrifices, people the noble efforts of people, and the political consequences of this again, I mean, it's not like the same number of people who were in Vietnam, but when it was viewed that the elites of the United States had betrayed the had betrayed the very virtues. Uh, of, the, of the people who were, who were compelled under those circumstances because of the draft to fight in Vietnam, the political consequences of that had 20 years of effect on our political system where people no longer trusted the Democratic Party to represent their interest in foreign policy or America's interests abroad. Now, we have a bipartisan problem here because we have the isolationist uh, right and the sort of anti-American left kind of in weird analogous parallel. I'm going to read one quick tweet from Rashida Tlaib. Uh, This is what this is, the horrible consequences of endless war and the failed U.S. policy going back to the 1980s when we backed the Taliban against the Soviets. The Taliban didn't exist in the 1980s. There were no Taliban. We were supporters of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, I apparently she's never read a book, uh, or you know, watched a movie, or seen a TV show. And uh, was this the idea that we shouldn't have backed the anti-Soviet forces in Afghanistan? Is that because I believe that's what Rashida Talib believes, and it's one of the reasons that she is evil. She is an evil person. She's an ignorant, evil person. And uh, moments like this help reveal that kind of thing to everybody. And she is somebody who rose on the internet and became famous on the internet. And I want to talk to you about how to spare yourself from internet horrors with Aura because the way you use the internet has changed dramatically over the last decade, but security tools have mostly stayed the same. Aura provides complete digital security to help protect your online accounts, finances, devices, and more all in one easy-to-use app. Aura provides digital security protection To save you from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, so much more, your online finances, your personal information, your tech, safe from online threats. With Aura, you'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast, like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online, or if someone tries to open a bank account in your name. Aura is easy to set up. All plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to help recover your stolen funds and experienced U.S.-based customer support that's got your back. Aura is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription with an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone. Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. And right now, Aura has a limited time offer for our listeners to get early access in three free months when you visit Aura.com slash commentary. Go to Aura.com slash commentary to get access before anyone else in three free months. For a limited time. That's aura.com/slash commentary. So we got to go, but very quickly, I want to ask you this: uh, like an exit question, like on the McLaughlin group. Exit question very quickly. Uh, Joe Biden uh, may be facing the earliest presidential meltdown that we've ever seen on all these fronts: COVID worsening and not having a response or over-responding to COVID not really worsening. This is. Uh, inflation, uh, the reconciliation bill, the possible collapse of the infrastructure pa- package, whatever you want to slice. Okay? border. So, border. Okay, so uh, here's the question. Does this profit Donald Trump? Is Donald Trump's 2024 campaign helped by this, or is the fact that he is implicated in the American bug out from Afghanistan going to be costly and going to provide an opening on the right for Republicans to pull away from him because he will have nothing proper or positive to say or appropriate to say in response to what Biden has
2: done here? It's a good question. There's The Republican Party is still terrified of the ghost of Donald Trump, so I don't expect them to break from him, with the exception of people like Ben Sasse, who have done a very good job implicating the nationalist right in this debacle. Um, but there is a hunger out there for something different and a Republican who can synthesize the Trumpian affect with also a more sensible uh, governing policy could capitalize on this, um, quite easily. Yeah, I Abe? think, I, I mean, oh, I, I,
3: the answer is, uh, I hope not. But if you notice what, the only thing, the consistent messaging Trump has had recently is just to keep saying, miss me yet? Do you miss me yet? I still believe most people's answer to that question is no. And given his incompetence as, as a leader on, on many fronts, including in foreign policy, I'm not sure that seeing what's happening in Afghanistan, I don't think his, his hardcore fans will implicate him on it. I mean, they don't, they, they just believe whatever he says. But I don't think most Americans, the ones he would need to in order to win, still would rather choose, him i agree with Noah. i think if we can find some alternative that would be a, a better uh, a more appealing option for most people
0: okay hey real short oh T- totally helps trump okay uh thanks very much you guys talk to you tomorrow for noah abe and Christina, i'm john Podhoritz. keep the candle burning